Hallelujah, Lord, come. We ask you to come use my mouth today to teach us your words. Nothing I say holds any value unless you breathe on it, Father, and make it come alive on the inside of us. So bring with your presence, Father, a revelation of who you are and who we are and what you've called us to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God is good. And uh, Pastor Michael referenced last week when I taught on faith. How many of you were not here last week? Raise your hands. I, I never do this for my own messages, but can I just highly recommend that you go online and listen to it? I found out last Sunday morning at 5 o'clock that I was ministering. Glory to God. And God gave me a word. He did. But while I was preaching, I was more like, wow, that's good. Wow, where'd that come from? I should go back and listen to this CD. It was just very encouraging to my faith as well. And that's what we talked about. We talked about faith. We talked about Luke 18, that persistent faith that's not going to turn coward or give up or faint or give in or quit. Going to hold on to your faith, remember? The devil's going to have to pry it from my cold, dead hands if he wants to get my faith from me. That's how much I trust God. And so I want to kind of carry on in that vein of faith um, this week. But I I want to talk about what the purpose of that kind of faith is. Because faith has a purpose. Um, And Jesus even said, remember at the end of that parable in Luke 18, when I come back, and we talked about today in worship a lot, Jesus is coming again. He's going to split that sky. He's going to touch his toe down on the Mount of Olives and he's coming. Hallelujah. And he said, when I come, will I find this kind of faith on the earth? This kind of persistent faith that's not going to let go of what God has promised us until faith is made sight no matter what we see Will I find this kind of faith on the earth? So God really means and intends for us to walk by faith. And faith is kind of a controversial subject. Has anyone ever heard any negative connotations of the word faith? So we want to talk about that today. We want to talk about why faith is so important. Because you can get into a ditch on either side of any issue. But we want to stay down the middle of the road. Um, God intends for us... To walk in victory. He, contend, he intends for us to walk in everything that he paid for. Everything. He paid a high price for our victory. I mean, if you look at the cross on either side, that was the price that he paid. For our healing, he took stripes on his back with a whip of nine tails that had bones and fragments on the end of it that cut into his skin so much that the Bible says he was unrecognizable. He didn't enjoy that. He didn't say, hit me again. He endured that, the Bible says, so that we could be healed. He endured hanging on that cross so that we could be saved. Right? And I think it grieves his heart when his kids don't walk in what he paid for. He paid a very high price for it. We go back and get our 99 cent fries if they don't put them in the bag. That's only 99 cents, but we want our fries. How much more what he paid for does he want to see his body walking in? 
And so when we talk about faith, we're going to talk about all of these things, but we want to talk about the purpose of faith because there's a higher purpose to faith than just our personal victory. The end all and be all of faith is not just our personal victory. Healing is in the atonement. He bought it. He paid for it. He wants us to walk in it, but not just so that we can have a comfortable, happy life and go fishing next weekend. Oh, good. I'm glad that I got healed because I really wanted to go on that shopping trip with the girls. No, he wants us to be healed. He wants us to enjoy our life, but the higher purpose to healing and to have walking in strength and victory is so that we can fulfill our purpose. Right? Are you with me? Okay. He wants us to be free from sin. He does. He paid a very high price to give us the power to walk above sin. Why? So that we can just say, I don't do any of those bad things and criticize everyone who does? No. He wants us to walk above sin. He paid for us to walk above sin and personal victory above that so that we can live close to him so that we can see what he's doing and hear what he's saying and fulfill the destiny that he's put on our life. There's a higher purpose. Provision. That's the sticky one. That's the one that everyone has the rub when it comes to faith. Oh, well, that's just selfish. I can't believe for increase. I can't pray for more. I should just be content where I am. And maybe so if all you really want is a new couch or that really nice vacation. But if you're end goal in faith for finances is so that he has more to get through me to advance the kingdom of God, then you better be believing for increase. It costs money. The kingdom costs money. What we do for him, it costs money. And I want to get to the point where we're living on 10% of our income and giving 90% of our income. Why? Lester Summerall said, if I die a millionaire, I will have failed God. Why? Because he could have invested so much more into the kingdom. So if our end game of provision is just for us to be comfortable and get a new boat, we're thinking too low. There's a higher purpose and there's a higher end game, and it's called souls. And we're going to look at all of this today. Personal victory is paid for. He wants us provided for. He wants us healed. He wants us walking above sin. He wants us depression-free and oppression-free and sickness-free and disease-free and debt-free and poverty-free. He paid for it. But there's a higher purpose to it. We're going to look at it today in the life of Jesus. So we're going to open up to the book of John. Chapter 1, verse 14. And I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to reference some of it for time's sake because we're, we're already cooking here. But First um, John 1, in verse 1, it says the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God. And then John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? For him? No. He didn't need to come down here. 
Jesus was doing pretty good in heaven before he came down here, right? He sat on the right hand of God. He sat on his throne. The earth was his footstool. He was crowned with glory and honor, surrounded with the angels who were constantly worshiping him. He didn't need to come down here for him. He was doing okay. He came down here for us, right? Hold that thought. 1 John 3, 8 just confirms this. We love to quote the scripture around here. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. For this purpose was the Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us so that he could destroy the works of the enemy. Did he need to do that for himself? No. No. He already was walking above the devil. The enemy had no part or lot in him. Jesus did it for us. He came and dwelt among us for us. He didn't just come down here but hold himself aloof and say, I'm here, but you can't touch me. I'm here, but I don't want to get anywhere near you because I don't want what you got, all your ick and gick and yuck, to get off on me. So I'm just going to stay up here with my victory, and you can just look at me from afar and worship me. No, Jesus came and dwelt among us. He let us touch him. He came and sat down with us. He came and revealed the Father to us. He said, here, see every side of me. I want to hide nothing. Look at all of me. I have a side that I prefer in pictures. I really like the way my hair goes on the side. (laughs) So if you're going to take a picture of me, please let me stand so that this is what is going to be in the picture. Can you see how it goes? No. (laughs) Jesus didn't have a bad side. He wasn't trying to hide anything. He came and he dwelt among us. And let's stand in glory of that for a second because the one who created everything that we see, the one who was there speaking it into existence, who spoke those trees into existence outside, humbled himself to be born as a baby, to have to grow up and be taught what a tree was. He had to learn the word for tree. The one who was the word had to learn to read. He humbled himself to be born as a baby. He had to have his diaper changed. He had to learn how to... The one whom the angels worshipped came and dwelt among us for us. Right? Are you, are you with me? We're building here, so hang with me. I see some looks in your faces, but I want you to hold on to all this information. And he came for a purpose. And it was to destroy the works of the enemy. He came and subjected himself to our flesh so that he could overcome our enemy for us. He came and dwelt among us. Why? So that he could walk in personal victory? So that he could walk by faith and just lord it over us? And say, I bet you wish you could do this too. Or did he come to reveal to us how to do it? He came. He came for our sake, not his. He came not just to live a comfortable life. 
because he had victory. So I'm just going to be comfortable. He came to show us so we could see it and hear it and see it and touch it and taste it so that we could have it. Because without him, we had no victory. And I know it doesn't sound like we're talking about faith here, but we're talking about the purpose of the faith that we talked about last week. Are you with me? Jesus came for a purpose, and he came to infiltrate our death with his life. He came to infiltrate our darkness with his light. He came to infiltrate culture with his kingdom. And he's not done yet. Wait a minute, Pastor Tony. What about the finished work of Christ? It's finished. He can't do anything else. He finished it on that cross. It's done, 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 done. That part of it is done. But the infiltrating death with life, the infiltrating darkness with light, the infiltrating culture with kingdom, God's not done with that yet. The only difference is he switched from using Jesus to do it to using us to do it. <laughs> now he's going to use us. Say, God's going to use me to infiltrate culture with his kingdom. He's called each of us. Say, he called me. Now, a lot of times we reserve that verbiage. He called me. For preachers, right? Ministers, they're called. <laughs> Ooh, look at the call on their life. But he wasn't just talking to, to ministers here. He wasn't just revealing how to live this victorious life just so that ministers could carry all the power and the rest of us could just sit back and relax and have a comfortable life with our faith. Jesus infiltrated death with life, darkness with light, and culture with kingdom because he lived fully aware of his purpose. And his purpose has now become our purpose. Say, I have a purpose. I have a purpose. Jesus lived fully aware of his purpose and he lived with his eyes on eternity. I want you to write down Luke 2, 41 through 52. We're not going to read it today. Luke 2, 41 through 52. And if you're not taking notes, just pretend like you're going to. Just pretend. Listen, studies have proven that the reason people don't change when they hear a message is because they hear it one time and forget it. And it's been proven that if you keep going back to what you're taught and connect to it again and again and again by looking at your notes, by reading the scriptures, by looking at the Bible, by listening to the podcast, it's more likely to make a change in you, right? Yes. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That word know means to understand and to do. <laughs> he fully intends for us to do what we hear in church on Sunday. So, so anyway, so write down <laughs> for your further study, Luke 2, 41 through 52. And this is where Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. He was 12 years old. Has it, parents, have you ever lost your kids? Lost sight of them at an amusement park or at the mall or something? And that panic that rises up, oh my gosh, where's my kid? Just imagine Mary and Joseph lost God's son. 
And they didn't even realize they lost him right away. Like they had traveled quite a ways without knowing, oh, God's going to kill us. <laughs> My only responsibility was to keep track of Jesus, and I just failed. So they lost Jesus and had to report back to God, God, I kind of lost your son. <laughs> so they turned around and they went back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says they looked for him three days. You know why? This is my personal opinion. No scriptural evidence. My personal opinion of why they had to took them three days to find Jesus was because they looked in all the places that a normal 12-year-old boy would go. The soccer fields, the baseball fields, the playgrounds, the video games, the, you know. They looked in all the normal places a 12-year-old boy would be, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. you know where he was? In the temple. I want that 12-year-old boy. Why didn't I get that 12-year-old boy? He was in the temple. And what did Jesus say to them? Talking about Jesus living, fully aware of his purpose. What did Jesus say to them at 12 when they said, Where have you been? He said, Don't you know I must be about my father's business? At 12 years old, he was so connected to his purpose, that he wasn't out playing soccer. He was connected to his purpose saying, I got to be about my father's business. Luke 13, 32. This is where the Pharisees came to him and said, Herod is looking for you. Herod does not like what's going on here. So Jesus, full of love and compassion, responds to the Pharisees. says, Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Go tell that fox. Jesus was always walking in love, but he said some things, didn't he? I saw something on Facebook the other day, and this reminds me of it. Where it says, people say, what would Jesus do? And I say, making a whip and driving people <laughs> and animals out of the temple with it is not above the realm of possibility. <laughs> but Jesus wasn't just soft and oh, whatever and la, 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 it's a beautiful day. No, he said, go tell that fox, I got to accomplish my purpose. I'm healing today. I'm casting out demons tomorrow. And the third day, I'm going to accomplish my purpose. He lived with his eyes set on purpose. He lived with his eyes set on eternity. On his eternity. He didn't want heaven without us. Remember? It's in that song, Beautiful Name. He didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Jesus, you fulfilled your purpose of infiltrating culture with kingdom. He lived with his eye focused on eternity, his and ours, because he knew that without him fulfilling his purpose, we were lost forever. And so the question I'm going to ask you today and myself, I've been asking since I started studying this, am I living with my eye on eternity? My eternity, yes. Oh, I'm so thankful my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and my eternity is secure. But there's more to my eternity than that. Because when I step over from this life to the next, 2 Corinthians 5.10, 
and 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 tell me that I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what I did in this life. Now, we're not just talking about sin here because what happens when we confess our sin? He's faithful and just to forgive our sin, cleanses from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 says those things are removed from us. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. We don't have to worry about those things. But we don't want our whole life to be 1 John 1, 9, right? We want our life to show some value before the throne. So we want to live with our eye on the fact that eternity is coming. Quickly, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back or when I pass over, I have to stand and I want to hand him a life that had value for the kingdom. And this is what we're talking about today. Will my life have value for the kingdom? And then we want to live with our eyes focused on the eternity of those who are around us. Because how many of you know at least one person that hasn't accepted Christ yet? Every hand should be up. If not, y'all need to get out more. (laughs) We need to be concerned about their eternity. You know why? Because without us, they're doomed. Wait, 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 wait. Don't you mean without Jesus, they're doomed? Yes. But who do we carry? Romans says that, and how can they hear unless somebody, so are they lost without us? I think we're praying for revival, right? We are praying for an outpouring of the move of God. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that we're crying out for these things. But I think sometimes we get this picture in our minds that God's just going to do something out there. Oh, he's going to send the rain, and he's going to send the fire, and he's going to pour out his spirit separate from me. Just this big sovereign thing that's just going to happen. Where the whole while God's intending to use his church. He's going to pour out his spirit. I guess he's going to pour who he's going to pour it out through. Say me. (laughs) On On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. They were in one room and one accord in one place and they were praying and the Spirit of God fell on them and cloven like tongues like as a fire settled on them and then they did what? Went out into the streets and did what? Took the fire with them that he had just poured out on them. It wasn't some sovereign move of God out on that streets and then wow, all of a sudden 5,000 people got saved. They saw the fire of God on the inside of those men and said, what just happened to you? And their question to open a door for a sermon, 5,000 people got saved. Are we living with our eyes on their eternity because they're doomed without us? And here's something to consider. Because Jesus lived concerned for our eternity when we weren't. He lived concerned for our eternity even though we weren't. And you might see some cases out at work or at school or wherever you go through the day and you think they're not even concerned. Look how hard they are. Yeah, that's why God puts you in their life so that you could be concerned about their eternity even when they're not because he paid for them. He paid for them. 
Hallelujah. We're going to give an account for whether, for what we did in our lives. We're not going to give an account, however, for whether we lived a victorious life. Whether we lived healed and delivered and set free. That's a given. The faith that we talked about walking in last week, that's a given. We're not going to stand before him and say, I'm sorry I didn't live in faith, or I'm so excited I did live in faith. We're not going to give an account for whether or not we live a victorious life. He intends that we live one. That's the purpose of faith, but it's not the end all and be all of our comfort. We're going to give an account for what we did with our victorious life. Did I keep it to myself and live just for me? Or did I share it with everyone around me? Exodus 31, 1 through 6. It's in the Old Testament where God, they were getting ready to build the tabernacle. And he said, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri. I filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman. And he also said in verse 6, I personally appointed Oholiab, son of somebody, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. (laughs) Moreover, I have given special skill to these gifted craftsmen. And I want you to listen to that verbiage. Chosen, filled with the spirit, filled with God's wisdom and ability. I personally appointed them. When we think of these words, we think of ministers. Man, that's Billy Graham or Bishop Thomas. That's a sacred thing. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a fireman. I'm just a police officer. I'm just a daycare worker. I'm just a this. That's secular. It's not important. Man is the one who puts those labels on there. God didn't put it on there. The job description isn't what makes your vocation secular or sacred. You do. You make your vocation secular or sacred by whether or not you take him with you and fulfill his purpose while we're doing it. Because I've known pastors who don't fulfill the will of God and accomplish this purpose. I've known pastors who've never reached one person for Christ. They lived so below what they should have lived. And yet teachers who influenced so many kids with the love and the power of God that would have never had a touch from God before. So which one is secular and which one is sacred? A lot of times we leave Jesus at home in our quiet time because I don't have that kind of job. I'm going to just leave him here. I only have a secular job. So it doesn't matter if I take him with me or not. I don't have to be filled with the Spirit all day long like Pastor Michael, who's dealing with all those spiritual things. I can just be, I can just have a bad day. I can just be secular. But that's not what God said. And I'm not talking about taking him to your job and just preaching. In fact, can I just say, you ought not open your mouth to talk about him if your life does not demonstrate him. You're going to damage the kingdom. Are you with me? So we're not just talking about preaching here. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many Christians are so unlike Christ. We're still talking about faith here and the purpose of faith. Hang with me. 
And, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about our words, because if you read through the book of Acts, there's only so many, there's a few sermons kind of highlighted in there of what the, the apostles preached on. But if you, you'll see that every single sermon was preceded by a demonstration of the kingdom of God through their life. They didn't just go out on a street corner and set up a soapbox and start worshiping and wait for people to gather around and then cold call preach. They demonstrated the kingdom of God. They infiltrated culture with kingdom and everyone was amazed and they came to them and asked him, how did that happen? We're going to look at that in a minute. So do you understand we're not just talking about preaching here? Romans 12, 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when we think of worship, and I, I, we've had this conversation, you know I dance every morning. That's not a secret to anybody anymore unless you're here for the first time. And I go into my kitchen before anyone else is up in the morning. And I close my eyes and I raise my hands and I say, I want the first expression of my body to be rejoicing and praise unto God. And I want the first words out of my mouth to be praise and adoration to my king. Why? Because I want to worship. The Bible says we're supposed to worship him with all our heart, soul, might, and strength. And when I was singing this morning, I, or dancing this morning, I... I started singing this, and I'm not going to sing for you, God bless America, because you'd leave. I tell my feet to dance. I tell my mind to believe. I tell my heart to rejoice and hold on. I tell my mouth to sing, because he's the God of miracles today. I tell my feet to dance. If you can't tell your body what to do in the kitchen when you're all by yourself, you're not going to be able to tell your body what to do when you're out and about. Right? If you're not going to tell your mind what to believe when you're in church, you're never going to tell your mind what to believe when you get out there. But this is worship. That's worship. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about our lives and everything we do with our lives being a demonstration of what's pleasing to God. And I want to read it out of the Message Bible. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Say, God help me. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you the best is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And I'm going to just say it right now. This doesn't just mean sin. Because that's the first thing that pops in. I can't drink and I can't smoke and I can't chew and I can't hang out with those who do. And I can't do this and I can't do that. And if I'm not going to conform and blend into culture, it means I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. We've already covered that. We don't want to sin because we want to live close to God. But that's not what this is talking about. Don't be so conformed to your culture that you act just like it. So here's some questions. Do you exude peace 
in the midst of chaos at work or at home? Do you exude peace when there's just chaos all around you? You know why? That's kingdom. Do you have joy in the dark times of your life? Or are you just depressed like everybody else? That's kingdom. Are you afraid of the news just like they are? Do you curl up in a fetal position every time you watch the news? Just like those who have no hope in this world. Are you with me? Do you respond to things the same way? Do you fly off the handle too? Or do you just keep a calm coolness around you? Are you just as edgy and just as mean? Or do you have his goodness and his kindness as part of your life? And when I was reading about this, I was thinking about um, the Apostle Paul when he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, right? He was a prisoner. They were taking him to Rome. God said, you're going to testify before me in Rome. And they got shipwrecked and he was out gathering wood to build a fire. And he reached down and this poisonous snake grabbed onto his hand. And they all watched, waiting for him to swell up and die. So what did Paul do? Go, oh my God, oh my God, he's a poisonous snake. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Somebody suck out the poison. Somebody help me. Is that what Paul did? No. <laughs> Thank God. Sadly, it's what most of the church would have done because we're so acclimated to the culture of panic and chaos and is God really that big? No, the apostle Paul knew who his God was and he knew that God said, you're going to go to Rome and he knew he wasn't quite at Rome yet so he knew that no matter what happened, God was going to fix it because God's word cannot fail. It's the faith that we talked about last week. He walked in that level of persistent faith that believes God in spite of every circumstance. So instead of freaking out, like most of us would do, he just shook it off and went on with life. And because he walked in that level of victory and faith, a whole island came to Christ. They were waiting for him to swell up and die. And when he didn't, they changed their minds and said, you're a God. It started to worship him. He goes, no, but I know the God that you need to know. He sent Jesus and let me tell you about him. And bam, revival and healing broke out on the island. Why? Because one man walked in personal victory. Because he didn't conform to culture Because he took kingdom culture and invaded earth culture with it. Which is what we're called to do. So how do we do this? I'm closing, I promise. How do we do this? Matthew 11 in the the Message Bible, um, Jesus told us exactly how he did it. He said, these things that I do, They come from father-son intimacies. I can do what I do and walk in the level of faith that I walked in 
because of father-son intimacies. John 17, verses 20 and 21 says, I'm not praying for these only, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And a lot of times when we read this scripture, we just think about being one this way, that we're just going to lock arms with each other and be one. And as soon as we can get along, the world's going to see him and believe that, that Jesus is the son of God. But I want to look at it from this perspective, because Jesus said, I want them to be one like we are one. How was he one? I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Father, I pray that each one of them would be one with you this way, just like I am. That they would be one as we are one. This is the Father-Son intimacies. And when we're one with him this way, then we start to act like him, and talk like him, and look like him. John 15, 7 says, If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, you can ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. The faith that we were talking about last week, that's what that's talking about. But the faith wasn't the beginning. The faith was the end of, abide in me. Abide in my word. It comes from relationship. What if Jesus had never taken all that time with the Father? It comes from relationship. Be one as he is one. And when we're one this way, then this is how we infiltrate culture with kingdom. And I'm closing with this, Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. We all know what the fruit of the Spirit is. How many of us walk in the fruit of the Spirit? Hmm? When we're connected this way, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And I'm telling you, the fruit is not for you. A tree doesn't bear fruit for itself. A tree doesn't bear fruit and go, look how cool I am. Look at all my fruit. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. No. A tree bears fruit for me to pick it and eat it. So we're infiltrating culture with kingdom when we abide in the vine, connected to the Father. Because if you don't like your fruit, you're just rooted in the wrong place. If this isn't the fruit of your life, you just need to move your roots from wherever they are, whether it's fear or the news or flesh or whatever. You need to move your root over to where we're going to be bearing his fruit. Why? So that they can taste it when you're at work, when you're at the store. They'll be able to pick that fruit and go, wow, look at that piece. I don't have anything like that in my life. Don't you watch the news? Do you see what a mess this nation's in? How can you have that peace? And they eat it and they go, that's good. Where did it come from? And it opens up a door for you to say, well, let me tell you where that fruit came from. 
or them to pick the fruit of love and say, I don't have any love in my life. I've only and always ever been abused. This love is really nice. Did you come up with that by yourself? How did you get that? Or kindness. Wow, I'm mean to everybody and they're always mean right back, but you're never mean to me. Even when I'm mean to you, where, where did that come from? And that's how we're going to infiltrate culture with kingdom. So what place does faith play in this? What if Jesus didn't have personal victory when he walked on the earth? What if he wasn't kind and loving and forgiving and sweet? What if he was sick all the time? And then he went up to someone and said, oh, I'm going to pray for your healing. And they'd be like, you better pray for your own. No, we're supposed to walk in that level of faith, but not just for our comfort. It's so that they can see it and touch it and taste it so that we walk among them like Jesus walked among us with his victory and give them the same victory that we have. But we can't give it to them if we're not walking in it. It's vital. They need us to walk in victory. They need us to walk in this level of faith. Because not everybody that needs him is going to walk through the doors of that church. Not everybody who needs him. They're out there. That's why the church has left the building. We're supposed to take our fruit and our faith and our victory out to them. They need us to walk in victory. Why? So they can see that there's a different way. So when they hear, oh, you had, you had a testimony or you had a doctor's report of having a lump in your breast. How are you doing with that? Oh, man, it's gone. I just had that happen to me when I met someone for lunch uh, or coffee or something one day this week, for Wednesday. I have a friend, she's a Christian, but she doesn't believe in healing. And we were just catching up, and she goes, whatever happened? Did you get your mammogram? I said, I don't have to, it's gone. She goes, what do you mean it's gone? I said, I mean, I prayed, and Jesus healed me, and it's gone. And she was like, wow. But what happens if we're not walking in that level of peace and victory? What if we react the same to the doctor's report? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're never going to come to us for the answer. Because we're not walking in victory. He needs us. He needs us to walk in victory. And I'm just going to read Acts 3 and 4. It's where Peter and James were going to the temple. They weren't on a ministry crusade. They weren't preaching at the church. They were walking down the street. They're everyday, ordinary, walking about life. And they walked right by a, a lame man and didn't say anything to him. Walked right by him until they heard him say, give me money. And then they turned and looked at him and said, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And because they infiltrated culture with kingdom, the man was healed by the power of God. The crowd saw it and were astonished and said, how did this happen? Peter preached the gospel and thousands of people got saved. Because two men took their ordinary walking around life and said, I'm going to live this life full of the kingdom of God and full of the power of God. And I'm going to take him with me wherever I go. And it changed lives. 
The church was never meant to be an evangelization, evangelization center. We're all, you need, you, need, you need to come to know Jesus. You better come to church. We can do that. We can. We'll cast the net. People will get saved. But a higher way, a better way, is for us to take kingdom out there and invade their culture with the power and the life of God, infiltrate their darkness with his life that we carry, infiltrate their death with his light that we carry, and infiltrate culture with the kingdom of power. And then they ask and we say, it's Jesus, and they accept him, and then we bring him home. We just bring him home for family meal. We bring them home to get infiltrated with kingdom so that they can go out and change their world. Are you with me? And we're over and I'm so sorry, but I want to leave you with this question. Will you press into the faith we talked about last week so that you can walk in faith and victory to open the doors for you to infiltrate the culture around you with the kingdom of God so they'll come to know Jesus. Amen. 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 Come on, can we just give Jesus a shout of victory? Thank you, Jesus. So many amazing things that she said, but as I, I was sharing this with first service, I wrote this word down. She was speaking, and I, I, just, I felt like the Lord just spoke a word to me, and he just dropped the word ambassador in, in my heart, and we hear, we hear about this all through the New Testament. But listen to this. This is, this is defin, the definition of an ambassador. This is who you are. Watch this. It's a diplomat of the highest rank. Some of you all need to start thinking of yourself a little higher because of what he paid for you to look like. Watch this. Sent by one sovereign kingdom as a representative to another on a temporary mission to negotiate the terms of the kingdom that has now taken over. You need to understand this. This kingdom is a fallen kingdom that we live in. We are ambassadors sent from where? Psalm 91 tells us that in the secret place of the Most High, in that kingdom where we are affected, we are filled up, and then that's where we go out into our kingdom to change the culture. Amen. Come on, y'all with me. (laughs) Would you stand with us? We're going to close this time together a little bit differently today. Come on, don't, don't give me two Sundays off and not expect me to just... Ah! I want to do something a little bit differently today. I, I want you to just lift your hands. You know, there's a song that we used to sing, used to go, We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. Why? Because the price he paid was so great for us to have a victorious and an abundant life. We're going to do a little exercise here today. Out of our own mouths, I want your ears to hear it. Say this with me because I'm saying it too. I am an ambassador. I change culture because of the kingdom in me. His purpose is to cause me to change culture. Father, we just thank you for your presence. It's why we will never do away with his presence. Why we will never 
say it is not prioritized. We desire your presence because we know it carries the DNA of kingdom and we desire that. This is a kingdom principle and you need to hear this as we go. You cannot give what you do not have. And if we are not rooted and if we are not abiding in the presence of God, if we're not rooted and grounded in his word, none of these Galatians chapter 5 fruits will be produced. That's why we abide. Father, we thank you that we are kingdom changers. We're establishers of your kingdom. I thank you, Father, for this word that was given today. I thank you for Pastor Tony and this wisdom that you have given to her. Lord, we just, we pray that you would just allow this to stay with us all week long. Holy Spirit, give us opportunities to show the fruit. In Jesus' name. Come on, look at me one more time. Say it. I'm an ambassador. And I'm going to change my world. Are you ready? Will you join us this week? God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week. Go change your world.